Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Charles McCollum is managing editor of the Herald Journal in Logan. And he regularly surveys readers via Facebook. He's joining us today to share the results of some of those surveys, uh, which have asked readers for their opinions on reasons to visit the Wasatch Front, the most irksome driving behaviors, a Cache Valley accent, Cache Valley wish list. We'd love for you to weigh in on some of these uh, topics, and you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can call us. Uh, uh, here's a, our number, toll-free number, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, Charles McCollum, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Glad to be here. Thank you. Enjoyed your work over the years on the Herald Journal. Um, I want to get a, a sense of you, uh, first of all. Uh, where did you grow up? Where did you get into journalism? Yeah, so um, I got into journalism uh, at the height of the Watergate era, and um, it was very a very popular major. I went to Colorado State University, and um, when I got out, it was really difficult to get a job. Um, I had to put out resumes all over the West. I wanted to stay in the West, and um, after putting out about 100 of them, I finally did uh, get a job, and I've been working at it ever since. Uh, so, that, you know, a lot of changes, obviously, between Watergate era and, and uh, today. And, and over the last decade or so, those changes seem to have accelerated. What, what stands out to you most in terms of changes in journalism? Yeah, no question about it. Um, well, my one thing, though, my boss, uh, Jeremy Cooley, he's the publisher of the Herald-Journal, uh, he has a good take on it. We have more readers, actually, than we've ever had. Uh, we're available on all these platforms. So the the perception that um, community journalism is dying um, is really kind of wrong, although print, the print product itself, um, is having difficulty. And the business model um, for uh, this type of media is having problems, but still people are accessing what we put out. And um, when they want the facts about something that's happened locally, um, a fire, um, a community event, um, just fun stories about um, or heartwarming stories about people in the community, um, we're a great source for that. And um, I think we'll always be, frankly. So um, maybe reassure me off the air before we went there. You were reassuring me. So let, let me bring this on air. Um, we, we all worry about this. Um, I was telling you about a friend, one of my friends, you know, great guy, level-headed, I'd, you know, that I think, uh, conservative. He told me, just a matter of fact, the other day, uh, I just don't believe mainstream media anymore. I, I don't consume mainstream media, really, in any, any way, shape, or form, um, which... You know that that can be depressing, and he's not the only one, obviously. Um, and if we if we can't even go to the same sources, you know, for trusted information, uh, I don't know how we come back from that. What What do you say? Yeah, uh, well, it's hard to disagree with that because we we are going down a path of uh, rampant conspiracy theory. Everybody's a, uh, a distrustful of everything. Um, as a journalist, I'm distrustful of a lot of the um, uh, the um, line that public officials take with us. and um, so distrust is a good thing, but somehow we've gone uh, way beyond what would be, you know, I would think 
you could call uh, healthy skepticism. Um, and of course, QAnon is a big part of that. And um, it continues to thrive despite, you know, some many of the embarrassing um, uh, revelations about it. And um, so I don't know. I don't have an answer. And, um, but for some reason, I'm not worried about it. Um, I mean, it's taken us down. Uh, we're in a weird um, dead-end alleyway, it seems like. But I, I feel like we're going to work our way out of it. Well, that is very hopeful. Um, you were also telling me this conversation before the air that there will always be a place for, you know, local journalism, local facts, hard to dispute when the paper reports there was a fire or the police chief was fired or whatever it is, you know, the, the, those, those local facts. Yeah, and well, and we make errors. And uh, error isn't the same thing as um, deceit. Um, occasionally somebody will sneak their way, way into community journalism who will be a plagiarist or, or, um, a fabricator, but rarely does that happen. I think the motive is pure. Just try to deliver information, try to tell interesting stories in the community. Um, but of course we're not the same game as the larger media. And I get, um, um, and put off by a lot of the uh, editorialization that you see uh, national TV um, anchors engage in. And um, we try not to do that in print. Um, somehow there's a different, seems to be a different standard um, in, the, um, in television. So... I don't know. I forget where you were going with that, but uh, just uh, just this kind of troubling fact that uh, some people just totally turned off and totally mistrust. Oh, right. You know, mainstream sources of, of yeah. News, you know. um, I'm distrustful of some of them too, or not distrustful. Um, I think we all need to be media smart and know uh, when we hear someone editorializing, realize that that's what they're doing. Um, can you always interpret what you see accurately um, on a national level? No. You'll hear people say, well, I do my own research. But what is that research? Mm-hmm. It's, it's frightening what some of that research is. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the mantra of QAnon, right? Yes. Do the research, right? Yeah. Uh, who knows what that research might be. Um, I guess it, uh, just a parting shot on this. It's, it, it is the depressing uh, when that becomes the uh, article of faith of your tribe, right? That our tribe does not subscribe to this part of the media, right? But our tribe does, uh, just, the, just the, the, that fracturing. I want to move on to um, young journalists. You, you deal with young journalists. You hire young journalists, I'm, I'm sure. A while ago, we did a program with Emily White, who's, uh, I think, just graduated from USU in the journalism department. We also had one of her former professors, uh, Matthew LaPlante, on. Emily White had done a, a project uh, in which she talked about um, a conflict between her and her parents. Her parents did not want her to go into journalism because they distrust trust mainstream media. They don't trust journalism. Um, so that little, you know, kind of a conflict in her family. That she's determined, however, to, she's idealistic about the profession. I don't know what you're seeing with young journalists coming out. Yeah, um, I heard that program. I was fascinated by that. And uh, Emily um, really um, is determined and um, 
we get a lot of, um, well, we don't get a lot, actually, of um, young journalists anymore because unlike the Watergate era, uh, era when I started, there's not a lot of uh, young people going into the business. And it's not just because of that, um, of the stigma now being placed on reporters and journalists. Um, it's always been really rather low-paying, um, especially in uh, community journalism. It's small newspapers, small markets. Um, so we're not seeing a lot of people. We're, we're having to um, beat the bushes to get applicants. We've hired a lot of people in the last 10 years who actually didn't have journalism degrees and tried to train them. Um, sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but uh, Emily's story was just fascinating, and um, um, having to butt heads with her parents over her profession. Um, yeah. There, there's a contrast there between her story and yours, right? You, <laughs> exactly. Watergate, journalism, very popular. Um, and, uh, you, you know, Hart, you had put out a lot of applications. Uh, now to Emily, you know, the profession less popular. Uh, good there are young people still going into it. Uh, but but hard hard time to to find young people. Yeah, um, one thing I noticed with her is is she has the same motivations though, mm. um, not necessarily to um, to set the world on fire, but just to do journalism, to tell stories, to um, hold uh, public officials' feet to the fire. Um, there's a lot of information that shows um, when there isn't a community um, journalism source, um, local officials. Uh, give themselves much larger raises, all kinds of things. So just being a presence in the community. And I don't think Emily, you know, was trying to be Woodward and Bernstein. She just wants to, uh, you know, enter this profession and practice it to the best of her ability. Mm. Well, and local journalism is very important. I'm sure I'm sure you would agree uh, because that's local government is where the rubber meets the road, right? Oh, yeah. And, no and who, who's going to go to the city council meeting, right, if it's not – if it's not local journalists. Yeah. And we don't get to every city council meeting, but they do know we're there. Yeah. Or, you know, they know we're out here. Right. And uh, we can watch the video or, you know, do a story. So it, just our mere presence is really important. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's prefer to go to a break and then we'll come, uh, come move the tone from uh, serious to a little, uh, little less serious. Um, so you periodically uh, survey readers through Facebook. Tell me about this. Yeah, so uh, we used to do Man on the Streets. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Facebook is much easier and really more efficient because you can get a lot of opinions. Um, we'd go out and interview, you know, five or six people on a topic of the day, run their picture, um, uh, and just run a short quote. But um, on Facebook, uh, a lot of people come from all over um, on every issue, so you don't have to worry about variety. Um, it's going to be there. Um, it's, it's fun. Um, th there's a lot of argument. You have to weed through when uh, people start arguing with each other. And, um, but um, I love the whole man-on-the-street format, and right now, actually, um, I just want to give a little pitch. I've been watching um, on the streets of Moscow this very brave young man. Um, he has a YouTube channel called 1420, and uh, he's interviewing um, Muscovites on 
their views on all this stuff that's going on. A lot of them turn away and say, I'm not going to comment on that. I don't want to go to jail. Um, he hasn't gone to jail yet. I don't know how he's pulling it off, but um, it's that man on the street format. And it's just fascinating to me to see what people think, what the what everyday people think about all the topics um, that all the things that are going on in our world. I just pulled this up. This looks fascinating. Yeah. 1420. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's what yeah. You're yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Such uh, such questions as can we protest or uh, Russians look at photos of destruction in Ukraine. Um, what do you think foreigners think about us? Um, do Russians think that China is dangerous? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and amazingly, a lot of people are being frank with him. A lot. Some people turn away. Some people um, seem to have bought into the um, state propaganda. But others are actually speaking their minds. And um, they don't go out on the street and protest, but they're, they're showing the courage to uh, speak their minds about the, the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. And yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, jump into some of these uh, topics. Uh, Charles McCollum has uh, has done this man on the street, but in not on the street, but on Facebook uh, over the over the past several months. Uh, such uh, topics, uh, fun topics as Cash Valley accent, Cash Valley wish list, most irksome driving behaviors, and uh, we'll get into some of those things uh, when we come back. I do want to. Uh, I want to do an inadvertent man on the street that uh, the Logan police uh, stumbled into. I don't think they meant to <laughs> to, to do this. Uh, they put out a statement on panhandling, and uh, then the comments exploded on their Facebook page, and one of your reporters did a story on that. Uh, we'll start with that, and then we'll proceed from there. Uh, we have Charles McCollum, managing editor of the Herald-Journal and Logan, with us. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have with us Charles McCollum, a managing editor of the Herald Journal in Logan. He regularly surveys readers via Facebook, and uh, he's sharing with us, or will share with us, results of some of those surveys. Uh, for example, he's asked uh, readers their opinions on reasons to visit the Wasatch Front, most irksome driving behaviors, a Cache Valley accent, a Cache Valley wish list. And we'd love for you to weigh in on uh, these topics and others. If you'd like, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, so as I said before the break, uh, Charles McCollum, um, I'd like to start with not uh, a, a reader survey that you did, but essentially a, a reader survey that the, the Logan City Police kind of stumbled into. They just issued a statement on their webs, on their uh, Facebook page, uh, which said, please do not support panhandling. Um, they noted the uh, an, an remarkable increase in panhandlers at local properties, and uh, many of those uh, we have met, quoting from the this police post, uh, are from out of the area and travel here for, for the purpose of asking money. And the post goes on, and I'm quoting from the Herald-Journal article. One of your reporters uh, noted this. Uh, the post goes on to reference Cash Valley's low unemployment rate and urges people to donate to local charities and to refer those asking for money to resources like the Cash Food Pantry, Bear River Association of Governments, and local Department of Workforce Services. Um, 
And so then comments exploded on, on that site. It's certainly been a hot topic among uh, my friends. Uh, this, I guess, if, if, if you'd have done it, would have made a good uh, Facebook query for, for you. Oh, yeah. There, it would have been perfect because uh, every viewpoint on it, I'm sure, would have been expressed and probably was in that police thread. Um, yeah. Uh, so I just want to read uh, some of these and, you know, that runs the gamut. Um, let's see. Um, it's an, the, the police chief, uh, Gary Jens says it's an individual prerogative to believe or not believe whether these people are truly down on their luck. All we're asking is people use caution in donating and giving. Of course, that's, you know, uh, a middle of the road, uh, opinion. One commenter online seems skeptical of panhandlers. With all the job openings out there, hmm, uh, says uh, Susan Tran, uh, commented on the post, some dress better than me. Uh, here's what Tom Grover uh, said. Uh, a lot of animosity toward these fellow beggars feels like a desire for them not to be visible. Um, and uh, and then he wrote, uh, referencing another written reaction that favored people giving people asking for money, a job application. Tom Grover says, if the Savior were here with us in Cash Valley, would he hand one of these fellow beggars a Burger King application? Um, let's see. So there's over 200 comments on, on the police website. Jess Lucero, uh, Utah State University Social Work Department head, uh, said though she doesn't think it's a problem to give people money, the debate on the topic is fundamentally misinformed. She goes on to say Americans tend to wring their hands about this question quite a bit. I personally think it's the wrong question. Uh, this she wrote in an email straight to the Herald Journal. We should be asking, is it okay that 200-plus individuals in our community are homeless on a given night in January? And I expect she's referring to the homeless count uh, that's, that's done every uh, January. Let's see. She goes on to say, the three things Cache Valley residents can do for homeless population are learning about local resources, knowing how to refer people in need, and donating to institutions helping with the issue and discussing the topic within their social circles. She goes on to say, the vast majority of those who are homeless in our community are not visible to the average uh, citizen. Um, and I think this is occasioned by the what I've noticed. There is an increase in panhandlers' Um, as you you know, navigate into and out of uh, parking lots, as you go into and out of stores, and uh, so that's going to occasion comment and a lot of different opinions. Oh yeah, um, you know, um, usually I don't want to express my own opinion, um, but we were talking about conspiracy theories, and in a way, it's a bit of a, um, I think, a myth that these people are going. Um, around the corner and getting in a Mercedes. Um, it's a po- I think is a po- bit of a popular myth. Uh, that may happen occasionally, but um, um, but yeah, who's to who's to say uh, where each of these individuals is coming from? But um, it's a great topic, and um, I'm surprised though that the police department um, uh, entered into this whole um, subject matter. Um, and now, so there is going to be more skepticism uh, on the public's part toward these people. And I actually have talked to uh, uh, several panhandlers in Logan. Uh, there's a guy who uh, plays the saxophone. People have probably seen. Um, 
you might call him a panhandler. That's kind of how he makes his living. Uh, one other thought on that, again, not to uh, express my opinion too much, but um, standing out there um, on the street corner um, is work in itself. Um, eight hours, an eight-hour shift on the street corner doesn't sound easy to me. Uh, so we'd love to get your opinion on this. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com uh, on, uh, on panhandling or anything else we're uh, talking about uh, today. So I want to, draw, I want to uh, from your uh, man on the street, you know, Facebook post, I want to start with uh, driving, uh, if we could. Um, and uh, everybody has an opinion on driving, right? But by the way, how do you come up with your ideas? Is is it discussion among staff there, or discussion among just just what you feel to be hot topic? Uh, yeah, it could be discussion, but it's it's just a sense of what might be a hot topic. Some of them fall flat, get no comments. Mm -hmm. Usually, that's the heavy subject matter. Like, what oh, are really? We, what are we going to do about the drought? Um, how are we going to solve the um, housing crisis? A lot of times, um, if no one gets it started, one comment, one snarky comment, say, mm -hmm. um, it'll just fall flat. But some things are a sure thing, um, especially if there's a fun element to it or a, an emotional element like driving. Um, everybody loves to talk about uh, bad drivers. Yeah. So you that, know that's going to, you know. That's going to receive a reaction. That's interesting. Some of the bigger topics may not get a, a comment. Right. Just just flat out no comment. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, uh, well, it's more work. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook is a place where you can just go, you know, take pot shots, yeah. um, make quick observations. Doesn't take a lot of thought. One of the comments you read from the professor on the panhandling seemed like a very thoughtful mm -hmm. comment that probably took her 30 minutes to compose. Um, and I'm thinking Facebook is a... People are opening it up in the morning. They see something quick and easy, and they go for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, emotional component probably usually going to provoke comments. Driving provokes emotion. <laughs> yeah, although these heavy political topics like uh, the insurrection, um, mm -hmm. um, the impeachment, I've thrown those up online and gotten no comment. Interesting. Um, I think it's, you know, it just takes too much energy to— to um, compose arguments, um, and Facebook is more of a kind of a quick thing. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, you, you have done January 6th, you've done others, and uh, not much comment. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, interesting. And I don't know what that says about us. Pro probably doesn't say a whole lot of good about us. Probably not. We're shallow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's let, let's let's dive into the to the uh, you know the shallow end of the pool here, um, <laughs> and have some fun. Uh, you you open your article here. Drivers drive each other crazy. That's the clear takeaway from a Facebook discussion. Uh, so, what are some of the comments that struck you from from this uh, this post? Yeah. Um, well, I was glad to see a few people said, you know, it's it's popular no matter where you live. I've lived in maybe five uh, communities. Um, everyone thinks the drivers there are the worst um, of anywhere. These are the worst drivers, uh, you know, in the country here. Um, a couple people said, um, and I was happy to see, um, actually drivers in Cache Valley are more polite than they see elsewhere, um, other towns they've lived in. Um, then some other people had the comeback, and this was fun. 
Um, yeah, some are too polite. You get to a four-way stop, they don't take their turn, they want to <laughs> they want to wave you on, and it just causes a mess. Yeah, like we've all been in that, right? Yeah. You go, no, you go, no, you go, you know, right? Exactly. Yeah, which uh, brings me to roundabouts, which which I love. I love the We have very few roundabouts to Cache Valley, but, but I, I love them. I drive them whenever I can. Uh, but it's pretty confusing. I... Uh, in fact, I did a study of roundabouts. I went went to study because what are the rules of a roundabout, right? So, um, and, and I came to the conclusion that well, there are the rules, and then there are what people do, right? There's there there's the actual behavior, and uh, the actual behavior is what rules, right? Right. Because um, I think technically you're supposed to treat it kind of like a four way stop. You know, you you yield to the one guy uh, on uh, you know maybe on your left. But then the other's supposed to yield to you thereafter. But what you get is these trains of of cars coming through, and you'd have to yield to everybody uh, because if you were to try to go in, you'd you know you'd probably get in a wreck. Yeah. Now I'm now you and I disagree on that, and we, okay, we might have an argument here. We might get in a brawl. All right. Um, What's your view? Well, um, if you're in. You have the right of way. If you're out, you have to yield. Okay, so you 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 feel that's the rule. Yes. If you're in, you're in. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that speaks to the very issue that we're talking about. Yeah, of why people uh, roundabouts are such a hot topic and and so controversial. Yeah, and I have I have uh, you know seen some people get get mad at uh, in roundabouts, but very very much fewer than at four way stops. Four way stops seem to in my experience, provoke more ire. Yeah. You know, you go, no, you should have gone. No, you, you know, that, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, that's just one, one part of this. The rolling, the, the rolling roadblock seems to have provoked some, some ire here where, where you have, you know, two lanes and you have two people running parallel to each other. Oh yeah. Kind of <laughs> slow, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the person on the left should, complete their pass and get around or or whatever right yeah if we had a list of the you know the top 10 that'd probably be number three the number three driving um things that irk people would be that exactly yeah uh what are some of the other big uh, irks uh well let's see um well crosswalks um and i'm guilty of this i'll i'll be driving and suddenly i'll realize someone was waiting right there on the crosswalk I'm lucky I haven't been caught in one of the police stings at crosswalks, and I feel, you know, really bad about that. Another one, uh, so people are very angry about the inattention to crosswalks. Um, People turning left on Main Street um, out of a business, um, causing a backup behind them. Mm. Um, How people handle that turn. Can you go in that middle lane called the suicide lane. Right. Um, I actually did a story on that and talked to an officer, did some research. Um, You can um, just drive into that and use it um, to then merge into traffic as long as there's not a uh, designated turn lane right there. Then it becomes a violation. Okay. So, but that is allowed. I mean, you you see it done all the time. I, I wasn't sure whether that was legal. Yeah. Can can you travel in that lane? I see people kind of traveling at a no. slow speed, and they, so you should not travel in that. Okay. That's exactly, yeah, okay. one of the very things that the officer um, I spoke to pointed out that you can't do. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a caller will call and dispute us on both right, the, right. this and the roundabout. Yeah. 
But um, blinkers, um, a lot of people like to say that it's Idaho drivers that, yeah, right. that don't use their blinkers. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, for all the people who hate slow drivers, there's just as many that hate fast drivers. Uh-huh. So there's two camps there. Um, and, um, of course, people on their phones. Yes. Um, drives everyone crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, probably unless it's you, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you, because you have to be, at the, if there's an emergency, you got to be on your phone. But those other guys, right? Exactly. Is, that, we're all is, so much like that. <laughs> that's right. One person mentioned the slalom motorists. And immediately I knew what they meant, right? Uh, yeah. They, they, they have to be to wherever they're going to go, and they, they, they need to get there those 10 seconds earlier. And so the weaving, right, in, in traffic, that was listed as a yeah. irksome driving behavior. Uh, one person interestingly said, um, well, you know, my view of other drivers depends on my mood. Yeah. Oh, which I guess, yeah, you can understand that. You can understand that one. I want to I wanna, uh, quote a couple things from your story here. Um, Michaela Murphy uh, spoke for many who said she complained about big uh, uh, lifted trucks, lights blurring straight into your eyeballs as they tailgate you while you're both going 10 over the speed limit. <laughs> I've had that experience. Uh, pretty scary, right? Oh, yeah. You're, you're looking to get out of that, uh, out of that thing. Um, and then Clint Br- uh, Bruderu. He expressed a distaste for tailgaters. He said, I'll stop right in the road. I'll sit there till I get the message. Want to fight? I'm okay with that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I debated on whether to include that comment because it is so, um, you know, right in your face. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, I've had that emotion, right? Uh, I, with tailgaters, if it's in town, I'll tend to slow down. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tend to slow down right to the speed limit. And I'm sending a little message, you know, hey, don't tailgate me. If I'm on the highway, then I, I'll, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I do get annoyed by people, you know, I'll, I'll leave plenty of distance between me and the, and the car ahead. And then people just come into that gap. Right. right. But I'll, I'll just, you know, talk myself through it and then leave some more space. Because, you know, as soon as you start tailgating, you open yourself up to, to a, a really bad accident. Yeah. Um, do you think tailgating is, um, in some cases, unconscious? People don't know they do it? I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Um, they're not thinking about it. Certainly not remembering their driving uh, instruction, right, back when they were teenagers. Exactly. Um, uh, and of how fast things can happen, right? But uh, it, it might be. It, it, it could be, yeah. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about uh, about driving irks? Uh, I didn't catch what you said there. Uh, so uh, on this topic, anything yeah. else you'd like to say from this article? No, that that pretty mm-hmm. much covered it. We got the the basics there. Yeah. Um, let's move to. Uh, by the way, we're uh, talking with uh, Charles McCollum. In fact, let's go to a break before we t- take up the next uh, couple of topics. Charles McCollum is managing editor of the Herald Journal at Logan. And he surveys readers on Facebook. This is uh, kind of the version of Man on the Street, right? The, the updated version. Exactly. And uh, so uh, driving irks, Cache Valley accent, Cache Valley wish, wish list. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of these things. We'd love to get your opinion on any of this. Upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking with the managing editor of the Herald-Journal uh, newspaper in uh, Logan. That's to Charles McCollum. Periodically, he does a man on the street, what used to be a man on the street. Now he puts out these questions by Facebook. And uh, he's told us that uh, it's, it's kind of the things that are closest to us. Everyday life apparently gets, uh, you know, gets the most uh, reaction. So we're... Uh, we're uh, asking him about some of the reactions that he got for some of these questions. Um, so Charlie McCollum, I'd like to move to the Cache Valley accent. Um, you, you put out, I guess, a message uh, about an, an a- Cache Valley accent. Of course, if you're from Cache Valley, you're going to say, I don't have an accent, right? Yeah, none of us do. None of us do, yeah. But, uh, but that was not the opinion of many of your readers, what uh, what are some of the things they said? Yeah, so um, well, one this this particular survey, you know, you're not asking for an opinion, but just observations, um, uh, reports from people's lives of you know what they're seeing, and um, you might call it like crowdsourcing more than you know an opinion poll. So um, it's just fun to hear what people had to say, and um, you know, one of the big Cache Valley things is there's a bit of a rural twang, um, not um, in the cities so much as out in the farm country, and especially in Wellsville. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. A lot of people mentioned it. Uh, People from Wellsville um, were laughing at themselves for it. Um, They have a lot of things like uh, the E sound uh, will be made for an I, so things like milk for milk. Uh, Milk, yeah. Uh, and Pello and, and for Pello. Pello. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Uh, also, Walesville, right? Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, another one is uh, for corn, carn, and uh-huh. fark for fork. Yes. And My mother had that a bit. Uh, she was from, uh, she grew up in Hinkley near Delta. But, uh, and, and she kind of, you know, phased that out because we'd make fun of her, frankly, but uh, in, a, in a nice way. She phased it out. Uh, that's, she, she did, yeah. That's a first. <laughs> uh, but, but, but uh, you know, FARC, using your FARC, right? Yeah. Um, a couple other things. Uh, let's see. Well, the big thing, what a lot of people said, you know, they're really, we're pretty accent neutral here. And I agree with that. Um, but there's some just little teeny quirks that are, People pointed out one of them is the T sound in words like mountain uh-huh. and uh, yeah mountain 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 yeah um, and but then additionally someone added the comment and she seemed to have some uh, um, linguistics training um, that not only do we eliminate the T in Cash Valley mountain we have a little hiccup there mountain and um, she called that a glottal stop that's right that's right. And uh, that I found that really interesting. And a couple other people with linguistic um, training and some education came in, and one person pointed out really interestingly that um, our accent was very similar to a certain area in West Texas. Interesting. Where uh, people had um, migrated, um, early-day Mormons had migrated from Missouri there and here, and some of those um, some of those accent characteristics seem to have survived all these years. Mm. Well, let's put this uh, part of the discussion on pause. We do have a caller. I'll alert you, uh, Charles McCollum, to put on your headphones here. Um, and so, um, Carl in St. George has called us. Uh, Carl, thanks for thanks for calling. 
You're welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, good morning. Hi, so, so we've we've thrown out a lot of stuff here. What what would you like to comment on? Well, first of all, you ought to come to St. George and warm up today. It's only going to be 108. 100, 100 a boy, 108. <laughs> I have two but, comments to make. Okay. One on dry, if it's not too late. One on driving the uh, irksome, and the other is on uh, panhandling. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. All right. The first one is on driving. One of the things that just bugs the heck out of me, and I see it all the time, is when you're, if the traffic's heavier, usually even if it's not, when you pull up to a stoplight, you stop way back where you should. Then if the stoplight has a flashing crimson light that allows you to turn left after the intersection has cleared of oncoming traffic, People just sit there and sit there. If you pull out into the middle of the intersection where you should, it gives the cars behind you additional time to turn left before the light changes. Yeah, so I wonder... wonder, Have you seen that? Yeah, I have seen that. I have seen that. Yeah. Whenever there's a, a yellow light... The cars just sit there instead of pulling out in the middle of the intersection, whether mm-hmm. they're afraid or not. It's something that just really bugs me. I think some people think that is illegal. Um, and I remember that in a previous story we did, um, that ed- edging out. Yeah. Um, but I do not think it is illegal. And, yeah, you know. and I've, I've had that question, Carl. I always edge out, but I've always been worried that it's illegal. So it, no, it, it, it is legal. Okay. Yeah, it's illegal, and it saves time, and it's really courteous to those behind you. Yeah. The second comment comment was on panhandling. I imagine most of your audience is LDS, but when you were describing the situation of people approaching you for a handout, you were always talking, it seemed to me that what I heard is you were talking about whether the person deserves it, whether he needs it or not whether you smell alcohol or tobacco on his breath, and you think, you know, if, you're, if you've got enough money to smoke or drink or if you go around the corner and there's a Mercedes that he's driving, you know, you're not going to give to that guy. If you read Alma in the Book of Mormon, he says, it's not about the person that needs it. You cannot judge what he needs that money for. You don't know his circumstances. It's all about you, the giver. If someone approaches you, if you need some help some way, if you can't help him some way, uh, or I should say if you can help him in any way, you're the one that should contribute. You're the one that should donate to him and not even think at all why he needs it because it's all about you and your situation of what you need to do, and that is give, be uh, unselfish. Now, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's quoting scripture there. That's uh, that'll give some people uh, uh, some food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well thank thank anyway. you. Thank you for those two comments. And um, thank you. And Thanks, uh, Carl. En- enjoy that 108 weather. Yeah, enjoy it. You get in these ice machines that are in Walmart for a while, but they always uh, ask you to leave when you're sitting in those. <laughs> well, I guess you'd be in there for a while. I guess. Uh, yeah. Have a good day. Okay, <laughs> you too. Thanks, Carl. That's uh, Carl in St. George. Appreciate those comments. You can call us as well. We have uh, about oh, six or seven minutes left in the program. Anything we've been talking about, you can uh, 
You can reach us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We appreciate those uh, comments. Uh, so, Charles McCollum, um, we're talking about accents, and um, uh, you were talking about the, the Walesville accent, the glottal stops. We were talking about uh, that. This very interesting uh, theory that one of your readers uh, posed, that the uh, similar origin place for people in Texas and, and people in Cache Valley. Um, what else were people saying about accents? Uh, let's see here. Um well, um, back on the uh, kind of the rural accent that uh, the Wellsville thing. I think Carl had a bit of a had a bit of a Wellsville accent oh, there, uh-huh. um, or rural accent. And I don't know where he got it. It's it's probably not unique to Cache Valley or Utah. It's um, you know it's nationwide. Yeah, and. Um, uh, let's see what else. Oh, so another uh, favorite is instead of Monday and Tuesday, people say Monday yeah, and right. Tuesday. Yes, around here, and um, uh, there's a lot of phrases around here that are popular, like "appreciate you." Uh-huh. That's right. That's and right. Uh, <laughs> oh my hack. Yeah, that's right. Try, try not to swear. Right. Try, uh, to, try uh, not uh, to swear. A workaround. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. Um, Let's see. Oh, and another thing somebody brought up, and I've heard this. I don't know if it's Cache Valley um, specific, but um, people will add a G on the end of a um, a G sound on the end of names like. Uh, oh, let's see. What do I got here? Oh, I've lost that thread. I, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I did. I did see that, but but emphasizing the G, right? When, when right. you normally would not. Yeah. And what was the word that? It was... I, I I'm trying to pull it up here as well. I've heard it. I've heard it a lot. It really stands Thinga. out to me. Thinga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and another one, a T sound of where it doesn't exist, like in a name like Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, people here will say Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other one I've heard, and this is not necessarily Cache Valley, but, but among some younger people, strength. Strength. A- adding an S-H, strength. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not sure where that comes from. I want to read this. Uh, this is from uh, Mitch Gunnell. He says, I also grew up in Wellsville and had a really hard time in my classes at Utah State when I had to give a speech. Oh, this is uh, Kathy Anderson. I could never speak properly enough to satisfy the professor. Plus, I had numerous people on the campus ask me what part of the South I was from. I'd answer, South Cache Valley, eight miles south of here. Yeah, that's a <laughs> great comment. They were, they were thinking that she did, I guess, a southern U.S. accent. Um, and then Nancy Stevens Lincoln says, my old linguistics professor's favorite joke was, what do you call a retired agriculturist in Cache Valley, a farmer former? Yeah. <laughs> the, talking about that transposition of the uh, of the of the two uh, of the two sounds, meaning they can use the uh, they can go that direction, but not on that word. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and then uh, I've heard this a lot. A lot of locals, you write, uh, make dills instead of deals. Uh, I've got a great deal for you. Yeah. Right. One thing uh, I and the fellow announcers here have have noticed: uh, if you say available quickly which you often do, and especially in commercial radio, uh, you know, a, a, a sell is available. That's another one, sale and sell. 
um, it becomes evadable. There's a D that appears if you say it fast. Oh, yeah. So I hear that a lot on, on media, evadable. Yeah. Uh, just want, And that's probably not Cache Valley-centric, but... On the uh, southern accent thing, um, uh, one time I ran across a young lady um, at a store who had a truly southern accent, and I asked her uh, where she was from, and she said um, Woodruff, um, Utah, and uh, we got to talking about it, and they have a very thick accent there, and everybody knows it, um, and at Bear... um, is it Bear Lake High School up there? Uh, what is that? Uh, Rich? Rich County. Rich County, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I ended up doing a column about that, and, um, you know, there was a lot to that. Yeah. And exactly where that came from, nobody knows, but um, it was very interesting. Yeah. Well, we reached uh, almost the end of the time. We do we, uh, we, Anything you'd like to say at all about uh, Cache Valley likes and dislikes, or uh, there, there's a Cache Valley wish list. Um, the the the, the, the p- things people wanted. Yeah. You remember anything from that that you'd like to say here? Well, um, Just about a minute left. One of the other ones um, was why do you leave Cache Valley? Uh-huh. And um, well, and this comes up. This particular uh, particular topic comes up. No matter what the survey is, some things just pop up. People want to comment. Make that comment. Um, doesn't matter what you're asking about. And one of the things, inevitably. Um, in any Facebook survey we've done, somebody mentions Logan um, has become very um, um, populated by a lot of banks and credit unions, car washes, <laughs> and Maverick stores. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, whenever anybody can work in an insult of our uh, local <laughs> Um, local economy that way. And a lot of people leaving to go to the Wasatch Front, go for shopping options. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, and a lot of people want a train to come up here. And, of course, uh, the cost um, equation there, I don't know what it would be. but yeah. um, and, and whether if it did come, would it get enough um, um, passengers to keep it um, viable, but um, a lot of people love to mention that train, and I've heard that as I've heard that as well. Well, we'll have to leave discussion there. We'll have to revisit this at, uh, at some point. You you do this regularly, so maybe we'll have you have you back on to talk about uh, what whatever people are talking about. Uh, Charles McCollum is uh, managing editor of the Herald Journal in Logan. He's been telling us about some of his uh, Facebook surveys. Thank you so much. You're Appreciate welcome, it. Tom. And thanks everyone for listening to Access Utah. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. Maybe you've heard it before. The Nile is the longest river in the world, the Amazon is the largest, but the Colorado is one of the hardest working. Learn why after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Did you know that a quarter of Utah's water comes from one river? That river is the Colorado, and a 1922 agreement called the Colorado River Compact allocates Utah its share. 
The various agreements and legal decisions placed on the Colorado River over the years are collectively known as the Law of the River, and the laws governing the Colorado form the backbone of all water infrastructure in the American West. The Colorado River rises high in Colorado's Rocky Mountains before making its 1,750-mile journey to the Pacific Ocean's Gulf of California. Along its way, the river gathers runoff from tributaries like the Green in a drainage basin totaling 244,000 square miles and carves out the dramatic landscape of Arizona's Grand Canyon. It is the most legally regulated river on Earth, partly because of water scarcity in the West. In the early 1900s, explosive population growth in Southern California made other Western states worry that California's seemingly unending thirst would lay claim to the bulk of the Colorado River water and block anyone upstream from making later use of it. What if earthworks built by California locked in place an inequitable infrastructure forever in favor of the Golden State? With these concerns in mind, representatives from seven states, including Utah, met in 1922 to begin work on an expansive interstate compact to regulate and share the river. When they first met, representatives agreed to split the Colorado River Basin watershed into two sections. The upper basin consisted of Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico. The lower basin included Nevada, Arizona, and California. The agreement also stipulated how much water flow each section would claim. 7.5 million acre-feet went to the upper basin, while 8.5 million went to the lower basin. For 11 long months in 1922, commissioners hammered together the Colorado River Compact. Not only did the process take longer than everyone expected, but the agreement itself contained oversights and loopholes that set up the compact for years of future legal battles. This episode of the Beehive Archive was contributed by the Utah State Archives. Find sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss.